And so our scripture passage this morning is Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. Between the Easter story, which we read and proclaimed last week, and this morning's passage, there's just a very brief passage where the guard who had been at the tomb goes to the, the elders and chief priests uh, to report what's happened, to report about uh, the risen Lord. And they, of course, plan, after all kinds of concerned conversations together, uh, they plan a bit of a cover-up. They say, hey, here's what you'll say if anyone asks. You fell asleep, and in the night the disciples came and they took his body. That's the passage between Easter and where we find ourselves this morning. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority on heaven in all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. And let us pray. How grateful we are, holy God, to gather again in your name, in your presence in this sacred space, and to be reminded anew of your great love for us and for all the world, the depth and breadth of your unwavering love. Help us, Lord, to continue to hear your voice as you speak it to each one of us this day and silence in us any message but that very word that you would have us receive. For we pray this with faith and with gladness in Jesus' name, amen. 33 years ago, our sanctuary choir, right in that choir loft, sang an anthem I will always remember. It was a Sunday evening worship service in October, the evening I was ordained as a minister of the word and sacrament. Not all the present choir members were members of the choir back then. Some of them had not even been born yet. But some of them were, and they sang that night. And the title of the anthem was, Go Ye Into the World. Go ye into the world and preach the gospel to every nation. We gathered that night to celebrate. That's what God calls us to do, not just ministers, but all of us, to bring Easter into the world. It's what we also gather this morning to celebrate. Our scripture passage on this, the second Sunday in the season of Easter, it is the final five verses in Matthew's gospel. It's known as the Great Commission. It's the powerful moment some hours or a short number of days after his resurrection 
where Jesus gathers on a mountaintop with his disciples and sends them forth. In the Easter narrative, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary meet Jesus as they are rushing to tell the other disciples what has happened. And suddenly Jesus meets them and says, greetings. They take hold of his feet. They worship him. And he says, do not be afraid and go and tell my brothers and sisters to go to Galilee. For there I will meet them. And the message is successfully relayed. Thank God there was not a distraction or delay that prevented them from delivering it. Thank God they did not indefinitely procrastinate or get sidetracked as is so easy to do. We all have experienced. The 11 disciples gather in Galilee as instructed. Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed Jesus and later hung himself in shame, is the one who is not there. The nominating committee has not yet had a chance to meet and come up with someone to fill his unexpired term. And so the 11 gather in Galilee as Jesus directed them. They see him. They worship him. And the text tells us some doubted. Even then, it is a sign of their frailty amidst their faithfulness. Even then, in those invigorating and inspiring days immediately following his resurrection, human fear and uneasiness and doubt about the person of Christ and the call of Christ upon our lives is present. It's been a theme in Matthew this wavering between hesitation and conviction. And it's present in these final verses as if to acknowledge that it will always be present. And in this mountaintop post-Easter moment, four verbs describe the concrete and specific actions Jesus is calling them and us to take. Go. Make disciples, baptize, teach. We're told to do those four things, to carry out those four actions, to share God's great love, to invite people to commit their lives to him in order to be the new creation that God intends for them. And to bring that good news, that invitation to all nations, all settings, to the broadest possible range of people. This command to extend the gospel to Gentiles, non-Jews, is hinted at in the beginning of Matthew's gospel when the Magi, the wise men from a foreign land, come to pay homage to the infant Jesus. And later when Jesus heals the centurion's servant and the Canaanite woman's daughter, now that Jesus has risen, these suggestions of a mission beyond Israel are to be fully realized. He never says to us, go out and only share about my love with people who look just like you and come from communities similar to yours or who have a worldview just like you do. Far from it. He says, go out into the world as far 
and as wide as you can go and with the most inclusive approach you can possibly bring and teach them of my love and mercy. Teach them of the new life, the forgiveness, the grace that you can find in me. Go into every nation, go into all the world. It's his commissioning, his call upon the church as a whole and to each of us as individuals. And it's summed up in those four verbs, those four actions. Go, make disciples, baptize, and teach. And the fifth verb in this passage describes the promise. Remember. Remember, I am with you always. I am not sending you forth on your own. You will have one another, and that itself is a game changer. But more importantly, you will have me. I will be with you. It's not a limited time mentorship a person might enter into with some skilled master in a trade. Once the program is over, the relationship is over. It's not like the warranty you get when you buy a new phone or a new car that will one day expire. Sorry, your warranty is over. This one's on you. The promise, the pledge Jesus makes couldn't be more different than that. He says, I'll be with you always, always, to the end of the age. Have you noticed how many times the word all or variations on it is used in this brief passage? All authority has been given to Jesus. He commands them to make disciples of all nations, to teach them everything he has commanded them and reassures them that he will be with them always. These sweeping alls indicate how comprehensively the resurrection has transformed the world. Now it is time for the disciples to act in response to this changed reality. In Thornton Wilder's play entitled The Skin of Our Teeth, the character Mrs. Antrobus says to her spouse, I didn't marry you because you were perfect. I married you because you gave me a promise. She takes off her ring and looks at it. The promise made up for your faults and the promise I made to you made up for my faults. Two imperfect people got married and it was the promise that made the marriage. Think about those words she spoke and the resurrection of Jesus. To be clear, the God who created all the world and who was revealed to us in Jesus Christ, he is perfect. Unlike both spouses in any marriage. Yet it is God's promise that is the foundation of our faith. His promise to us is the reason why our life of discipleship is possible. The author John Piper once stated, we have three options in responding to Christ's great commission. Here's how he frames it. Go, send, or disobey. 
He says, for those who aren't called to be goers, you have the equally critical opportunity to be a sender, interceding for in prayer, supporting with encouragement and love, financially investing in, backing the cause of Christ. I'm inspired and challenged by the way he unpacks the Great Commission. As he sees it, there are only three options, not a fourth. Go, send, or disobey. This past week, the New York Times had an unusual article. Uh, perhaps you spotted this also. It told how in this past January, Matthew Prince, a public relations executive at Taco Bell, who also teaches marketing at Chapman University in Southern California, was telling 80 students what to expect from his influencer marketing course as he walked through the syllabus projected onto the screen in front of them in the lecture hall. This semester, he said, things will be different. If anyone in the class can create a TikTok video that receives one million views before the one I create receives one million views, the final exam will be canceled. A 20-year-old sophomore named Sylvie, who was seated toward the back, took out her phone and immediately started filming. By the end of the day, she had created an posted a short video that told of the challenge and that included some catchy music that was already trending on TikTok. And by the end of the week, she had received a million views. The next Monday in class, the professor invited her to come down to the front, played her short video on the screen, congratulated her for the great job that she did, led in a round of applause, and announced to everyone's delight that the final exam was canceled. It's amazing what a single person can do when they are excited and motivated to do it. It's amazing in 2023 how over a million people can be engaged, connected with, pulled into something larger than themselves through one person's creativity. And on this Jazz Sunday, I am mindful that bringing God's love and invitation into our community and into the world beyond it requires all kinds of improvising, all kinds of adapting, playing old songs in new keys for what was effective 50 years ago or even five years ago is nowhere near as effective as it once was. That's one of the inspirations behind a new council that our church elders will be forming next month. We're calling it the Ministry Engagement Council, that we might discover new ways of engaging and connecting people with the ministry of our church and with the love of God, to not just take that for granted, but to be intentional and prayerful and creative in trying to make it happen. And I close with this. This year for Easter, a church member gave me a wonderful and beautiful birdhouse made to look like a church. 
She painted it with outdoor paint and with a sealer so that it could withstand the elements. It's so beautiful, so much care went into it that I am tempted to keep it in my office. I'm tempted to keep it where I can see it and enjoy it and where it will not get worn up, worn out, or beaten up by the elements. But that's not what it was intended for. It was intended for birds to dwell in it. It was intended to be out there in the world where the rain does come and where the weather does get cold and where birdhouses sometimes even get knocked off of trees. In a similar way, our Christian faith is not meant to stay safe and warm and cozy and remain right there in our offices, our homes, in our sanctuaries, in our comfortable inner circles. It's meant to go forth into the world to be shared, to be a source of inspiration for others, to be a dwelling place for others. That's what the Christian faith is meant to be, a dwelling place for others if we will but help make that happen by the places we let our feet take us, by the risks we take, by the manner in which we allow ourselves to be used as God's instruments of hope and love and mercy. Our Christian faith, and you of course know this, but sometimes it helps for all of us to be reminded our Christian faith is not meant to simply be put on a shelf where it will look good and make us smile and feel good. We're called to carry it beyond these walls where it will be a source of meaning and hope and new life for all the world. It's a calling. Go. Make disciples. Baptize, teach, and it's a promise. Remember, remember I am with you always to the end of the age. For there is no expiration date, no end to God's faithfulness, to the presence of the risen Christ in our midst. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.